Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code TREKGEEKS, all capital letters, for your exclusive 10% discount. Welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series, one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kauper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Samaritan Snare. This episode was written by Robert McCullough and Melinda M. Snodgrass and directed by Les Landau. It first aired on May 13th, 1989. For today's check-in, let's talk about how we behave in awkward or uncomfortable situations. (laughs) Ruthie, this is my day-to-day life. (laughs) I know. I can think of very rare times where I'm not uncomfortable. <laughs> I was thinking about this because I was like, I mean, this is inspired by the, the shuttle ride between yes. Picard and uh, Wesley Crusher, Absolutely, which we will yeah. talk about. But I was thinking about it. I was like, I feel like when I feel awkward and uncomfortable, I talk a lot. Okay. Yeah. But then I was like, when I'm comfortable with someone... I also frequently just talk a lot. <laughs> How can one know the difference? I guess that's a good thing that like you can't tell when I'm awkward because I'm just like Cuz we can't talking. tell when you're we don't know when you're not awkward. Yeah. 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 No, but like when when you're in a situation where you feel and I I understand this is not like a rare occurrence, but like how do you think you respond to awkwardness or to feeling awkward or dis- discomfort? Or discomfort. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I find so much social interaction so draining is that I constantly feel like I have to, it's my responsibility to make everyone else comfortable. Oh, yeah. And so if I, if I sense any discomfort, I immediately feel like it's my job to fix those scenarios. And so I, I don't know if that's either me or how my introversion com- becomes expressed, but it's one of the reasons why I enjoy solitude so much because... I feel like I'm off the hook because right. when I'm in with in conversations with people, I'm always like, I feel like I'm working. Like I'm always at work, even just in normal social circumstances. <laughs> there are some people I don't feel that way with, but it's, it is it is few. There are few, yeah. few. And right. I feel totally comfortable hanging out with you. Well, I should hope so because you talk to me a lot about Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that's, that's what I'm saying is that I that's why I appreciate our connection because it's one of the few that I feel is completely natural. So I did say like when I'm comfortable, I talk a lot. But I also feel like there is a certain level of comfort that after I reach it, I'm okay being quiet with someone. Yes, I think that is a great... That reminds me not to jump franchises, but there's a moment <laughs> between Seven of Nine and Tuvok okay. where they're flying in a shuttle and one of them says hey we haven't talked to each other for two and a half hours Tuvok's like is that is that okay and Seven's like yeah it's great (laughs) you know (laughs) because we could just be comfortable being silent with each other yeah like the idea of an awkward silence like it doesn't feel like an awkward silence when it's comfortable yeah 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 totally I love it so yeah silence is a sign of comfort 
I think so. Or yeah. it can be, depending on the person. Yeah. Yeah. I try to, I think sometimes as I've gotten older, I try to embrace awkward more. Yeah. Because sometimes there's a lot of truth in awkward. So when an awkward thing has been said or moment, there's like, there's an opportunity there to point it out and be like, hey, maybe something true or real just happened and we should talk about it. Mm, yeah. Kind of acknowledge the awkward. Does that break the awkward that way? I think it's more awkward to not acknowledge the awkward. Yeah, I agree. I think acknowledging the awkward and and the discomfort is often the first step to moving past it. Can you think of an example that's happened to you where um, that's that's been the case? I don't know. I just feel like I can't think of a specific example, but I feel like when I've had to have difficult conversations or like uncomfortable or awkward conversations kind of opening with this is going to be difficult. Yeah. I think that can be helpful because then you don't have to pretend that it's not difficult. Like you've acknowledged yeah. it. And you're, yeah. you're kind of like, okay, we are both feeling difficult. We are each aware that the other is feeling difficult and that the other one knows that I am feeling difficult. Yeah. Or or awkward or whatever. I'd rather that happen. Like I'd rather people lay that out in a conversation. I think Wesley kind of does that in the shuttle. Like We'll get to that point. But he's like, <laughs> hey, everyone knows that you don't like kids. He just kind of lays it out there, right? Like he just, he just says it out loud. He and does. So, I, don't, I think that part of what Wesley does makes it more awkward. Maybe. <laughs> but we'll talk about it. But I do think like it is. I remember so years ago, I think when I was a teenager, I went over to my grandparents' house for dinner. Okay. And I think it might have been... Like the first time that I really spent time with them, just me, without my parents since I had been quite little. So it was just me just hanging out with my grandparents. Like it wasn't a big family thing. I just went to their house for dinner. And afterwards, and it was great. Like we had a lot of stuff to talk about. I talked about what I was learning in school. Uh, my grandfather was a physicist and I really liked math so we talked about that and um, my grandmother had done some work in like uh, taking care of kids and I was I knew that I wanted to be a teacher so we had you know we we had a lot to talk about yeah later I think my dad mentioned to me that he had had a conversation with my grandparents and that they were really pleased with how the dinner had gone and I think there was a, a bit of a like you know you never know like these two much older relatives hanging out with this much younger relative like that you, you don't know maybe you're not going to have a lot to talk about um and i think that can be a really interesting dynamic like a a much older person although picard is nowhere near as old as i thought he was when i was younger but still um you know like a this older established person hanging out with like 17 year old wesley crusher it's and they're just stuck in this shuttle ride together they have nothing else to do yeah, except, you know, munch on sandwiches and drink coffee and talk about uh, philosophy and uh, starting bar fights. Yeah. It was great. It ends up being a great conversation. It is a great conversation. Yeah. It really is. All right. You want to get into the episode? Let's do it. In this episode, Picard leaves the ship for a routine surgery and the Enterprise responds to a distress call that turns into a kidnapping. It's wild. It's, it is wild. There's so much going on. Another classic A plot, B plot. A plot, B plot. Although, which one's the A and which one's the B? I'm not sure. They're both pretty serious. Yeah, double A plot. Double A plot. So we start with the captain's log, as we frequently do. The ship is en route to the Epsilon 9 sector for an astronomical survey of a new pulsar. 
cluster. Yeah, let me tell you about that. Yeah, talk about it. <laughs> There's no such thing as a pulsar cluster. Oh, really? Yeah, I've, I've never come across. I've looked this up. Um, and I was like, I'm pretty sure there's no such, especially you can't say a new pulsar cluster. It's not like <laughs> pulsars would suddenly just cluster together and make a new cluster. In fact, pulsars are quite rare. And so because of their rarity, they tend to be pretty spread out through the galaxy. So they're probably not going to cluster together, but I'm into it. I'm okay, into well, it anyway. Okay, well, this is actually making something make a lot more sense to me because I kept okay. noticing the number of times they talked about how much Picard wanted to see this pulsar cluster. So maybe that's why. It's maybe some that's rare why because it's so rare. Because I was like that. Like at first, he says it to Pulaski. He's like, "I was looking forward to seeing it," and I was like, "You're just saying that because you don't want to, you know, have this surgery." And then yeah. later, Riker's like, "Um, are you sure you want to leave? You're gonna miss the pulsar cluster." And then after Picard leaves, Riker's like, "Didn't Picard say he wanted to see this pulsar cluster?" So that now it actually makes sense because I was like, "What was Picard like?" hyping this up this pulsar cluster was he like oh my gosh i can't wait to see the new pulsar cluster yeah that that could very well be the case yeah because as far as i know there's no such thing as a pulsar cluster in real astronomy in fact when i looked it up online the first reference to pulsar cluster came from memory alpha so i was like <laughs> okay that's probably not it's probably not a thing anyway just to have my um actually moment yeah for no worries the episode yeah and then the other thing is that wesley is going to starbase 515 for his Starfleet exams. I guess he. this is his a new entrance exam is the idea because he didn't get in last time. I think what they're trying to do is show that even although he is on the ship and working on the ship, he's still making progress in his time as a student. Yes. Right? Is that what but I think did, that's what But is he a student? Because he didn't get in when he had his exams. Right. Or he's still building up. It's showing, he's showing why the time, because he's an acting ensign. Yes. So maybe what they're doing is just ensuring based on these exams that his time as an acting ensign will eventually count towards credits at school. I think that's what's going yeah, on. Yeah, right? there's there is something with that for sure in it. Yeah. And Data, you know, is assuring him with Riker that his work on the Enterprise will put him ahead of cadets at the Academy because he has all this practical experience. Yeah. And he does. He's like helming the, the flagship. flagship. Yeah. Yeah, that's like no small potatoes. Yeah, he's helming it. He's not just like there as an observer. He's actually taking part in missions. Yeah, he he makes it go. Yeah. Yeah. In Sick Bay, Picard is upset with Pulaski for ordering him to also report to Starbase 515. There's some tension there between them. And she says, you don't really know what's going on at this point, but she says that he has been ignoring, quote unquote, this problem for too long and that he is not required for this particular mission, although he wants to see the Epsilon Pulsar cluster for himself, which is nice because it's a moment where we get to see the characters actually interested in real exploration. <laughs> yeah, the exploration, not just the side missions that we always see them on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Pulaski offers to perform the procedure whatever it is, on the ship. But Picard, like, I'm glad they adjusted his character later on because he's just so, like, grumpy about this. He's like, it would be inappropriate for you to do the procedure. Like, dude, she's the ship's doctor. Yeah, I mean, who else would do it? Yeah, then? you're just because you're captain, that doesn't mean you will never have any medical needs. Yeah, so she points out here that this seems to be like an ego thing. Yeah. Which it is. It is. It's a lack of, of uh, vulnerability, I guess in this case physical, and I suppose emotional vulnerability as well. Yeah. But it's almost, as we'll come to find out, it I think 
Is Picard embarrassed about maybe why he he's I in this place? I think he's ashamed yeah. of why he has has to have this procedure. Yeah. Which is interesting because we revisit that shame later in we the do. future episode. Yeah. This th- we'll get into it later, obviously. But I, I have, I wonder if the writers had any idea that they were setting up a really great episode. I think a really great episode, like years down the line, in this yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so on the on the bridge, Picard enters and he tells Wesley that he's going to be accompanying him to Starbase five one five. And everyone's pretty shocked by this. And Riker is like, you know, whatever needs to happen on Starbase five one five. I, I can take care of it because I know how much you wanted to see the, the Epsilon Pulsar cluster. Yeah, he even follows Picard into the ready room. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe if we have this time here, you'll tell me what's going on. He wants to know why Picard's taking this unexpected trip. And Picard tells him that it's strictly a matter of image. Yeah, like Picard gives him no info. No info, yeah. Because I think I think the thing here is that he, he wants to... Picard has this thing where he has to present himself as almost like superhuman to the crew. Yeah. Which I ends up kind of being like a thread of his whole character and is addressed right up until the last episode. So this is part mm-hmm. of it. This is some of that, of, of him revealing that desire to seem It is. It's better handled by the writers in later seasons, I think. I think so. Like in yeah. this one, he just comes across as like petulant and, <laughs> and grumpy. Yeah, a bit of a jerk. Yeah. yeah. In the hallway, uh, we see the cuts to the corridor, and we see LaForge, and I forgot that Ensign Sonia Gomez is in this episode. she's in this one. I know, yeah. This scene is so funny to me, because Wesley is so, Wesley's worried that that he has to take a six-hour shuttle ride with Picard, and Gomez clearly has never been at a loss of what to say because she's like what do you mean you don't know what to talk about you could talk about art like archaeology semantics literature art like she's just like you could talk about everything i wish i was oh, yeah. going on this <laughs> she is so excited. yeah and we've seen that from her character previously we know that yeah. she likes to talk she right so Sonia gomez she this is a good example of someone who might be awkward yes uh, in a situation but in a charming way yeah and i i thought that she does show up in another episode but I, and i forgot that it was like immediately preceding yeah. q that she shows up again and, i don't think we see her again no not until lower decks until lower decks which which tickled me to end I but i her. i after watching this episode it almost like they set her up that she might be like a like a right hand person to Jordy and it yeah. was unfortunate that we don't see her in more episodes cuz I liked her she's cool. Yeah, I did like her. I read a thing that like I don't know if this is at all real but that like maybe they were setting her up as a potential love interest for LaForge. Oh, well, I don't that, know. I guess so. I mean, I mean, why can't people just be themselves? Why do they always I have know. to get Especially as a female character that they would yeah, have to no, get, like, just, like, introduced into being a love to interest. Be a love interest, yeah. Yeah, boo, boo. Back yeah. on the bridge. Oh, we go to the shuttle bay. Sorry, they depart. Yeah, so they go to the shuttle bay. Wesley and Picard depart. And then we go back to the bridge. And Riker, like, this is the third mention of the fact. Riker's like, Data, was Picard... Like, was I mistaken in thinking that Picard was looking forward to seeing the Epsilon Pulsar cluster? And he's like, it's weird that he changed his mind and he's leaving the ship now. I guess, like, they wanted to make the crew suspicious of this. It's a little weird how much they're talking about how much Picard wanted to see it. But, I mean, I guess if this is something that's never existed before, it makes sense. Yeah, they're spilling the tea. They want to know what it's going on. <laughs> yeah. The Earl Grey tea, perhaps. The Earl Grey tea. Mm, yep. Yeah. So Worf at that point says that they're receiving a distress call because 
because second plot needs to show yeah. up now. Yeah. And it's from the Romboid Dronagar sector. And I can only imagine from the name that somehow that sector is crooked. Yes. Yeah, it must be. Ro- Romboid <laughs> Dronagar. It's like not, doesn't quite line up with the rest of space. It's, yeah. It's like, you know, all the squares on the grid for the different sectors. <laughs> that was like crooked. It's like off, to, it's tilted <laughs> off to the right or left. <laughs> yeah so they decide to go there so like they're not even gonna make it to the epsilon pulsar cluster no they gotta go to the romboid dronagar sector yeah if they if they if they had a date with that cluster it's they're ghosted it yeah yeah so they decide to go there even though it's gonna take them uh far away from picard then we go into the intro we do Following the intro, the Enterprise is now in the Romboy Dronagar sector, and they come across a sublight ship. And it's not any sublight ship, Ruthie. It's like the sublight ship that's used for all, like, <laughs> this is an old spaceship in the galaxy. It's like that one model. It's like a flat, like, chunk of metal. Yeah. You know, the Enterprise is all, like, sleek and shiny and has, like, a pointy saucer. And this yeah. is, like, a thick It's like brick. a station wagon. Yeah. In space. <laughs> this is They use this model so often. It's funny. They hail the ship. A person looks away from the view screen. It doesn't seem fully aware of what Riker is saying or able to answer questions. And uh, these are the Packleds. Yeah, these are the Packleds. So, I mean, I do want to just kind of mention the Packleds are, I think they're meant to be like kind of a joke. We're not meant to take them very seriously. And it is, that's the whole trick, right? With with what happens in the episode. Right. It is a little uncomfortable for me because it does feel like a, I don't know, like a, a parody or kind of making a joke out of potentially like cognitive disabilities or something. It's it's not super clear. Yeah, I don't I don't love it. I don't love the Packlids as a as a foil here. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. They they that's awkward in and of itself. Right? Yeah. So yeah, and like you said, it's meant to be a a deception, but yet it's not. And they're like the the way that the the tone works and the language and everything. It's it's it reads a bit off. It does. It feels like villainizing disabilities in a yeah. way that is not is not cool. Like that's that's not like someone with a disability is not you know using this for to take advantage of others. And in fact, like I think it's much more likely that a disabled person will be taken advantage of yes, rather absolutely. than that they will take advantage of of people trying to help them. So Yeah, which is true of, of many narratives in, in their error in terms of, yeah. of positioning people like with mental illness or trans folk or whomever. Yes. Like, that rather than perpetuating violence, they will more more much more likely to have violence done to them yeah. uh, or against them for sure. Yeah. Uh, we find out that this is the Packled ship Mondor and that the Packleds are far from home, which they repeat frequently, yeah. and that they look for things that make them go. Yeah, so they do actually, they kind of say pretty clearly what their plan is and they like... Once LaForge is over there, they're like, you can make us go. We look for things that make us go. So they are actually fairly upfront about their intentions. I will I will ashamedly admit that the plot worked on me because <laughs> I hadn't seen this episode for a while and it took me part way through till I was like, oh, they mean him. He's the thing that makes them go. I was like, oh, right. I don't remember that. But yeah. Yeah, I think it was I was on like a rewatch of it after my first watch through. I was watching it again and I was like, like, like for, for this episode. And I was like, oh, 
he is the thing that makes them he go. He is the thing that makes them go. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. I wasn't I wasn't very quick witted on that one. Now here's one of those times where you know how like Worf makes suggestions and we often just don't <laughs> listen to him because he's usually overcautious. In this case, they probably should have taken him more seriously yeah. because he's like, do we really need to send not just Jordy, but also our chief engineer over? Can't we send like someone else? I, I do kind of resent the implication that we have like disposable Another engineers. engineer would have been okay, <laughs> not the chief. But I yeah. do like he's like, can we not just send them the equipment they need? And then yeah. like tell them what to do and Riker's like come on they're not going to be able to figure it out right and he says we have an obligation to render aid which is fair I don't think they usually send an away team of one so this perhaps like they could have taken more precautions than they did but then the story wouldn't have worked out so you know yeah all they and they probably in any other circumstances it probably would have been like regular procedure to send a security detail yeah but they're I mean, like, no, no, that? these people, they can't do anything. We'll just send one person. One person over. Yeah. So a bit of a bit of a plot hole there, maybe. Data says that they seem to be a benign species with limited armaments. Yeah. And then we cut away. We go back to the shuttle and Wesley is uncomfortable <laughs> mentioning the slow speed of the shuttle. He's like, this isn't exactly warp speed. Yeah. Picard is like, it's more like a late 22nd century interplanetary journey. And Wesley... I don't know, just kind of asks him to clarify what he said. And Picard, just like, I don't know, Picard is so dismissive at this point. He's like, you should read more history, Ensign. Like, he's just, yeah. it's the thing he said wasn't super clear. And Wesley's just like, sir, like, you know, can you repeat that or can you clarify it? And Picard's like, you're uneducated. Basically, yeah. yeah. I always thought it would be an interesting prequel series to Star Trek to go back to 22nd century Earth. Oh, so like pre-Enterprise. Pre-Enterprise almost, I guess, in that period. And then... Is that... Would that be even pre- pre-Warp? Zephram, pre-Warp Earth? No, because Zephram Cochran is twenty. Oh, no. Zephram Cochran's pretty early. Yeah, He's in our century. Yeah. So, so it would be post-Warp, but... Maybe a lot, a lot of ships have warp drive yet, though. Yeah. Because warp drive's fancy and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it'd be neat. Those kind of really early cool. times in our yeah. in our history. Yeah. So Picard is upset to be taking this trip and he says it's a waste of time, but it, he really takes a long time to say what's happening. And he's doing a thing that I actually find quite irritating. You're kind of baiting the person to ask? Yeah. He like, yeah. <laughs> but then when Wesley asks, he's like, just pilot the shuttle. Like he, he's just, he's just in a mood, you know, like this is not the Picard that I love. Yeah, he's he's getting there though because we have we've element. There are some things during this conversation that he says that I do really like. Oh yes, we're getting for there. sure. I'm saying th- this specific Picard in this moment Absolutely. is not the one yeah. that I love. It turns out that he needs a cardiac replacement, so he has a parthenogenetic implant, but it's faulty, so he needs to get another one. Right. And Wesley asks the entirely unhelpful question. Why would anyone use a faulty replacement? There was a part shortage. <laughs> they just, I, I doubt they supply did that on chain issues. <laughs> just pilot the shuttle into Yeah. LaForge beams over to the Mondor and the Paclids all approach him sort of like they're really uncomfortably close. One of them's like touching him and kind of like yeah. rubbing his shoulder yeah, and stuff. And he's like, Whoa. Whoa. He's, 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's no pack with women on this ship. It doesn't look like. No. But anyways, they're all kind of like back off. They say that like Reginoid or Reginod, Reginod yeah. is in charge of engineering. And he's like, well, can you show me where Reginod is? And they're like, this is Reginod. And he kind of like lumbers over. Yeah. So again, they keep saying that they're far from home. They look for things that make them go. And then they're like, can you make us go? And then we cut to the bridge and Troy enters. And she's like, whoa, what is LaForge doing on this other ship? And she can sense that the Packleds are not feeling helplessness. And that LaForge is actually in great danger. Yeah, and it's not like she's concerned, like there's something might be up. She's like, no, he's in great danger. And at that point, Riker should have probably been like, Let's beam him back. Yeah. But, but he doesn't. She's, he starts questioning her, kind of. Yeah. And then Data helpfully points out for any audience members who have just joined this episode that Counselor Troy is able to perceive things beyond what the rest of them can because she is Betazoid. She's Betazoid, which is something that Data should not have to remind Riker of. He really shouldn't. No. I, f- I feel like that was more for the audience than for Riker. But it's a bit of a Ron, Ron and Don conversation. A little bit. Um, yeah. I would also like to point out that they mention here and later on in the episode the Harada, which is a species that we only met sort of in passing when Picard got stuck in the holodeck and wasn't, you know, had to do that greeting in their difficult language, I think. But it's it's just kind of weird because we never actually meet them. But anytime they try to talk about like aliens that are strong, they say they mention in this episode like the Romulans, the Harada, and the Klingons. Right. Yeah. It's a way to make the galaxy feel bigger. Yeah. I it's think, kind maybe, of it's kind of a nice know? like thing yeah, that they mention. It's just kind of it's just funny because I don't I don't know if the Harada ever come up again. Yeah. I don't I don't know if they do either. Not that I can think of. Yeah. Riker looks worried, but then we cut back to the shuttle. And Wesley is still uncomfortable. And then Picard just kind of starts talking to himself about the replacement procedure. He says that it has a mortality rate of 2.4%. That's quite high. They, they say that it's like a really good mortality rate, but I don't... I, I think for even regular surgery, if there's like a 2.4% mortality rate, that's pretty high for surgery, I would think. No? I actually don't know. I do. I, I mean, I the other high. option is that he has a heart that does not work, and that has probably a much higher mortality rate. So it's <laughs> still, still worth it's it. It's fair. That's fair. It's not like he has other choices. Yeah. Picard says he doesn't want to become Starfleet gossip. And I feel like he's got a really low opinion of Starfleet doctors. Well, I don't know if you've watched other episodes of Star Trek, Ruthie. <laughs> but they tend not to be very good around confidentiality <laughs> and medical true. concerns. So... I mean, the fact that sickbay is just a, an open space that anyone can walk into and see what's yeah. going on. And they're just like, this guy's got the flu or whatever. Like they just, they you know, they just, <laughs> they just talk out loud about That's people's true. medical I, concerns. And I, I mean, yeah, actually, shame on me for not remembering <laughs> that because I believe I have pointed that out several yeah. times. I know, you have, you have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think Picard has a serious reason or a valid reason to be concerned about this. I guess. So you think yeah, like so. Starfleet Medical, they just like. They're like, guess who came in with a faulty yeah, like parthenogenic replacement? Legit. There's like images of his heart on Instagram. Like they're just like, <laughs> yo, there's there's his his like parthenogenetic implant right here. Yeah. Hashtag Picard. <laughs> Wesley asks why he didn't just have Pulaski do it. And Picard's like, well, personal reasons. Yeah. 
So we go back to the Packlet ship and LaForge finds the source of the problem. And then Riker like contacts him. And again, another awkward conversation because he's trying to suss out if LaForge is safe, but it's like in front of the Packlets. And he says that Troy has expressed some misgivings about him being over there. And LaForge is like, no, I'm I'm totally fine. I'm almost done. But I mean, it is clear to me, I think, that like Riker believes Troy. He just doesn't really mm-hmm. know what to do about it. Yeah, I don't know what I, I would like to think in that situation. Because I mean, LaForge can't necessarily read their minds either, even no. though he's there. I mean, he's with them and he can pick up on body language and stuff and their their intonation and whatever. But I get the impression he thinks he's safe. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, I think he thinks he's safe, too. Yeah. But but Troy knows better, and so Riker probably should have pulled him out. Yeah. This isn't Riker's finest episode. No, and it feels like some of the writing just to make the plot yeah. go along. That there was no security, that Riker doesn't pull him out right yeah. away, that, you know, stuff like that. But anyways, LaForge finishes fixing the uh, kind of the navigation system, and then all of a sudden, as soon as he puts the components back in, the ship's main power fails and all the lights go dim. And now Riker and Troy are even more concerned as LaForge radios over and is like, there's a bigger problem here. I'm going to have to stay even longer. Yeah. Things are not great. We might have been pack led on. <laughs> but, but um, um. anyways, okay. So back on the shuttle, Wesley observes that Picard probably would have preferred Riker as a traveling companion and says that Picard isn't comfortable with him and that, Everyone knows that he... Well, first of all, Picard's like, oh, really? Like, you know my my level of comfort? He's like, is that so? And he's like, yeah, everyone... We know that you don't like kids. Everyone knows that you don't like kids. And I guess Wesley is is seeing himself as a kid still in yeah. this situation. Do you think... I, I don't know at this point. I don't think Picard would have been more comfortable with Riker. I think Picard would have been more comfortable, like, by himself. But also by himself, he would not have made it to the Starbase. He would have gone somewhere else. Oh, you think you just want to take it off? <laughs> like, well, I, I don't think he actually, at this point in this episode, I don't think he would have been happier with Riker as a companion. I think any companion, especially a member of his crew, would have been uncomfortable. Certainly none of them probably would have become as personal as Wesley does, which no. maybe allows this conversation to happen. So had it been any other dynamic, I think Picard lets his guard down here a little bit with Wesley. Yeah. And his, willing to talk about what's going on. Wesley kind of opens that door because he says, you know, I think you would have made a good father, which is a kind of a personal thing to say to your captain. It is super personal. I also think that Wesley crosses a line that I don't love when he says, he says, don't you wish that you ever had kids of your own? And like, I don't know. I You shouldn't ask people that, I don't think. Because first of all, it's totally fine to not want kids. And that question kind of implies that it's not. Yes. And like second... What if he did want kids, but for some reason couldn't have them? Like that's, I don't know. That's a that's a very personal question to ask someone that you don't know, that you are acknowledging is uncomfortable in your presence. Sure, yeah. Do you think maybe though this is Wesley trying to answer a question for himself about whether or not Picard is willing to become more of a father figure to him? I mean, I think that I would have a bigger problem with any other character asking this question. Sure, like, sure. I think I can give Wesley not like a total pass, but I can extend more grace than if, say, Riker had asked that question. Okay, yeah. Although I do, I mean, not that I don't think you can never talk about whether your close friends want children, but just the way it's phrased. I'm like, don't, didn't you ever want kids of your own? And like, like 
come on, like you need to have a an established trust there before you ask that question, I think. I like Picard's response here. Yeah. He said, wishing, wishing for a thing does not make it so. Yeah. When I struggle with executive function, I say that to myself oh. sometimes. Oh, <laughs> that's... What would Picard say? Yeah. Wishing for a thing does not make it so, yeah. Matthew. Go make it so. Make it so. On the Enterprise, Riker's getting pretty agitated. And then here's where we get, like, the Packwoods start to get explicit. And they say, we look for things that make us go. And then they say, he can make us go. Yep. And Riker's like, yeah, but Riker doesn't fully, like, catch on. He's like, yeah, but right. we, we need him back on board. Right as LaForge is about to beam up, a Packwood takes his phaser and shoots him. Yeah, it's intense. On the view screen. So like everyone on the bridge can see this happening. And then the transporter can't get a lock on him. Yeah, they raised shields. They didn't know they had shields. Yeah. And now it's too late to get him. They should have beamed him on, you know, back earlier. Yeah. Do you, did you want to talk about this? Yeah. So I, I haven't done math on this or anything, but my perception is that when it comes to the character's in the TNG cast, LaForge is the one that becomes the most physically abused. Mm. He's like kidnapped, shot, uh, tortured by the Romulans in one episode. He's kidnapped again and tortured in the movies. Oh, yeah. As well in Generations. He becomes an alien in one episode. Like, it seems that a lot of phys- physical punishment is done to LaForge, and it's almost to the point where it, I find it a bit uncomfortable. It is, and I think... People have talked, and I think LeVar Burton himself has talked about, there are ways in which uh, LaForge was treated that were, like, pretty racist. Not, like, explicitly, but in that, like, this this maybe wouldn't have happened to a character who wasn't black. Mm. Certainly, like, how his kind of romantic life is treated. Like, he's never able to have, like, a real romantic storyline. It's always... um, it's always like with a hologram or with a character's diary or, you know, like it's <laughs> it's never real. And then and I feel like this is probably part of it, too. Like, I don't know. And the other thing I think that's uh, uncomfortable with it is that, you know, other characters get beat up, but they're able to fight back. And LaForge isn't as much. Yeah, we never really see LaForge hold his own in uh, physical combat. You know, and and they use his like visual impairment against him quite a bit that way because yeah. every time he gets hit, his visor tends to get knocked yeah. off and that kind of and thing. Here, and here, like so. there isn't even physical combat; he's just shot a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first in a line of LaForge getting a lot of physical harm done to him, and it happens so frequently throughout yeah. the series. Yeah, and so it's uh, it's a little odd. I find that odd. It is. Anyway, so they cut back again to the shuttle. Uh, Picard and Wesley are now, like, Picard offers Wesley coffee. So he's drinking coffee. So Picard doesn't just drink tea. He doesn't just drink tea. He drinks coffee out of a French press. I don't, did he replicate the French press? Does the shuttle have a replicator? (laughs) He's got, like, real plates. Like, this is is wild to me. And then he offers Wesley a sandwich. Wesley's, like, trying. He's like, no, no, I'm not hungry. It's okay. He's like, oh, come on. It's been hours. It's been hours. But these are, like, these are, like, party like triangle sandwiches like they got no crusts they're on like floppy white bread and they're eating, and they're eating off, off of like proper plates with cloth napkins like i think picard packed this those triangle sandwiches came from the catering services 
like craft services that's, on the Yeah, that's the my show. guess. Yeah. They're like, oh, you know what? We should have them eating something. Yo, just go outside to craft services and grab some sandwiches. <laughs> that's where those came from. That's my guess of why they look that way. It yeah, could be. They just like, or they had to like skip lunch and Patrick Stewart's like, listen, I am hungry. They're like, okay, we're just, you guys have lunch in this seat. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to shoot it there. That's what I think happened. I think that probably did happen. I also think Picard packed this himself. He might have, like, yeah. does, the, I mean, does the shuttle have a replicator? I think they, I'd imagine they do, yeah. Okay, then what happened was Picard was like, I would like sandwiches with the crust cut off. Yeah, absolutely. At the replicator. But he like replicates the sandwich with a knife and just uses the <laughs> knife to cut cut the edges off. <laughs> One knife, please. Yeah. Wesley asked if Picard was ever married. Yeah. This okay. Now this is where the conversation. I love this conversation. It gets. It's so funny because like Picard says he never had the time to get married. Yeah. And he says there are certain costs involved in being an ambitious Starfleet officer. And then he says, you have to be cautious, cautious. of long-term commitments. And Wesley says, with so much confidence. So much. He's like, oh, yeah, I that I have totally under control. Where women are concerned, oh, I'm in complete control. Yeah, he like straightens up his back and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got this. I've got this covered. As if we didn't watch the Dauphin. Yeah, we were there, Wesley. <laughs> we saw. You had zero control. This is documented. And, like, that's fair. You're 17 years old. You're not supposed to have total control over, you know, you're, you're, you're still learning. You're still a kid. You're not going to have total control over women in your life. Or relationships in exactly. general. They're hard and messy. Even Picard says, he's like, well, I, I always had to work on but that. But I just, the way it comes across where Wesley's like, oh, I have total control over, like, that kind of thing. And Picard's like, oh, weird. I had to work on that. It, to me, that came across as, Picard, like... Picard was a stud and Wesley is not. <laughs> Picard's like, I had to like fend off all these offers from women. And Wesley's like, oh, I've never had any issues with that. Issues with that, yeah. Although I think I think later on we see that Wesley, Wesley draws, you know, he pulls. Listen, I've, I've said it before. This Wesley was my first celebrity crush. Oh, yeah. 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 All nerdy and, and genuine and sincere. Yeah. So Wesley asks if Picard is, for also uh, just a, a note on this. See, is this kind of a, a cliche thing where if, if people are ambitious, they can't be in relationships? Like they yes. can't have successful careers yes. if they're if they're involved. But is that maybe true in Starfleet because you're being reassigned all the time? I don't know. Yeah, it, it does feel like a cliche, this idea of like the person who's married to their job. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it also happens like in real yeah, life. Yeah, I, I would imagine it can. Um, yeah. But I also think like it's not, again, this is the sort of thing like, Sometimes people are just single and it's not because they're ambitious in their work. It's just because they are not in a relationship. And like, so I feel like like Picard's singleness is often justified as though as though it's not okay on its own. So yeah, it's, it, it's not my favorite kind of storyline for sure. Maybe he's just bad at relationships. He could be. And, yeah. and given some of them that come along, it, that might that might be the case. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so he tells a story. He tells a story about why he's in the situation that he's in and that he wasn't always so disciplined. And that's why he has a problem that he's got now, that he was a young, green and cocky Starfleet officer at the top of his class. And he has encountered some problems when he's on leave at Far Space Starbase. Earhart, which made me wonder, is far space farther than deep space? 
Well, there's also Far Point. Like, I, yeah, I was like, okay, we've got Deep Space Nine, Far Space Star Base Earhart, which is a bit of a mouthful. It is, yeah. And yeah, and then there was Encounter at Far Point. I don't know. I don't know which one's farther away. Anyways, <laughs> he was hanging out with some folk there. Well, what far happened? Far Space is farther than Deep Space, but Deep Space is deeper than Far Space. Whoa, <laughs> that blew my brain, Ruthie. I'm going to have to write that down for later. Anyhow, yeah. so what's going on at the Bonstell Recreation Facility? Yeah, so it's, I mean, I get the impression this is like a dive. He says it's filled with an assorted bunch of galactic riffraff. It's it's Moss Eisley starport. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And a trio of Nausicans came in and they were have we met Nausicans at this point? I don't think we have. Oh, that's a good question. Um, like were there Nausicans in original Trek? I don't believe so. No, and we haven't actually apart from this disc- this conversation, we, I don't think we've seen them either yeah. yet, have we? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I think you're right. They they come in and they're looking for a fight and Everyone ignores them except Picard because Picard was this cocky officer at the top of his class. Right. So Picard is like, listen, you. And he's like, he tells them what he thinks of him, his pals, his planet, makes some comment about his questionable parentage. Ooh. And these three Nausicans fight him. And he was doing okay. At first, he had one of them in an impressive joint lock, yeah. he says. Yeah. But then one of them drew a weapon and impaled him through the back. And he said that it wasn't so much pain, but more shock and a kind of giddy warmth. And he says he remembers actually laughing out loud after seeing the blade protruding through his chest. I think he says serrated blade. Serrated blade. Yeah, yeah and it penetrated his heart. And his heart got messed up. And he would have died had they not been so close to a medical facility. Yeah. And I, I mean, I... It's funny. What what season is Tapestry in? Is that in like season six? Yeah, it's, it's certainly later on. Six or it's, I don't think it's seven. I think it's but it's I think yeah, it's six. It's, I, I think mean, it's not six. five. Yeah. And this image of like a young Picard impaled from the back, laughing. It's so like it is provocative, but then they just really went with it in Tapestry. Do we know at this point, or is this the first? Is this the first time that we have heard that Picard wasn't always how he is on the show? Like, is this the first time we've heard that he was cocky and, you know, kind of wild, kind of a jerk when he was young? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to maybe flesh out that other side, make him a little bit more interesting that he's got this kind of wild past. Yeah. He tries to tell Wesley, because Wesley's impressed by the story, but I think he's, he's trying to tell Wesley. That's not really the point. The point is that he's like, I was no hero. You know, mm-hmm. I was an, I was an idiot, and I had to learn a very painful lesson that day. Yeah, and a lesson I learned well. We go back to the Enterprise. They're not able to reach the Packlids at this point, and on the Packlid ship, LaForge wakes up, and they're pointing his phaser at him, and they say they can make more weapons, which he realizes means that they have replicators. So the Packlids are telling LaForge that to make weapons for them with with their replicators. Yeah, it's it's good. replicators are good for more than just sandwiches. They can also <laughs> scan this weapon tech and make more of it, which is dangerous. I'm sure there's some prime directive stuff going on there too that he's worried about. On the Enterprise, they kind of talk about what are their options. Worf and Riker discuss potentially using photon torpedoes, but they don't want to put LaForge in danger. And they're they're like, well, what do the Packlids want? And Troy, I feel like Troy is banging her head against the wall. She's like, they have what they want. 
They wanted Jordy. They have Jordy. <laughs> yeah, and she like repeats it over and over again. They're like, we still don't really know what they want. Yeah, she's like, like at one point, Riker's like, but why would they go to all that trouble to deceive <laughs> us? And she's like, to get our chief engineer. <laughs> this is the situation they were hoping for. What do we do now? It's too late now. Yes. Back on the shuttle, Picard and Wesley approach Starbase 515, which is not actually in space. It's like a ground-based Starbase. It is. It's actually the same as Angel 1, just with a couple, like, modifications to some of the buildings. Nice. I wonder if they're modular that way. Yeah. Or they just only have one paint. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think. (laughs) There's, like, a cool spirally structure in the background, though. It looks cool. It's like a big giant DNA. Yeah. Picard asks if Wesley read the book that he gave him. And Wesley says he only read some of it. And Picard's like, well, that's encouraging. And (laughs) Wesley responds that William James won't be on his Starfleet exam, but Picard says that anyone can be trained in mechanics of piloting a starship, but that you should open your mind to art, history, philosophy, then all of this may mean something. Yeah. What does he mean by all of this may mean something? Well, okay, this was, I kind of liked this because I can get, I mean, I obviously, as anybody who's listened to this podcast can certainly tell you, like, I have a lot of opinions about education. But one of the things that really bugs me is when people say that students just learn, like, nonsense in school and really what they should be learning is, like, practical skills. And I do think people should learn practical skills and maybe we should make more time for that in schools than we do. But I also think, like, I teach English I don't think, you know, I don't teach metaphor because I think everyone needs to know what a metaphor is. Or I don't teach, like, metaphor. allegory because we all need to know. Or, I, you know, I don't teach any any literary devices because I think that's the most important thing in the world. But I think that understanding those helps us make sense of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of what Picard is talking about. That he's, like, understanding art, history, and philosophy that will give our exploration through space meaning. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And I this is one of the things I really love about the dialogue that we're having now, like, say, in the Trektivism panels and stuff like that, too, right? So we we did we did Trektivism. Oh, Last yeah. time we were talking about this, it was coming up. Trek, uh, so Trek since Talks it already too. happened. Trek Talks, too. If you all haven't watched that yet, go check it out. But I was in a, the Trektivism panel with a, a number of people from the Star Trek community who are all doing, like, social change work. But for me, there's no there isn't this segregation between looking up at the stars and say looking back on our own planet right and actually give me one moment here you look at carl sagan how uh, did you know that because <laughs> i saw your posts yeah oh yeah yeah that's yeah Pale blue dot <laughs> thank you ruthie i don't even read my things that's nice so uh what day is today it's the 16th so two days ago was valentine's day and we were doing a show at the planetarium where i work at the hr mcmillan space center And I did a section of how blue is also a color of Valentine's Day, a color of love. Because on February 14th in 1990 was one of the most prolific images ever taken, and it's the pale blue dot. It's the world taken from 6 billion kilometers away in the year 1990. And of the picture, Carl Sagan has this comment. Uh, It was actually his idea, astronomer Carl Sagan, to take this photo. NASA was reluctant to do it at first because there was no scientific merit to the image it was just one of of perspective Mm. but he says it has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character building experience there is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world to me it underscores our responsibility 
to deal more kindly with one another, and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we have ever known. This is one of my favorite Picard moments in Star Trek. Yeah. Is when he talks about this, like, that if we're exploring and it's only a, an endeavor of science, a purely a function of mathematics and engineering, if we're not exploring to also create more art, more history, more philosophy, then what's what's the point? Yeah. Right? Like robots can do that. We could just send the robot out and it'll collect data and bring it home. But it's because we are what we are in our minds looking back on our world that hopefully it makes us kinder people and it's kinder because of the empathy we gain by by creating art and thinking about things and learning from history and not to repeat our mistakes yeah yeah i love i love that and i love that you always post that picture it's a beautiful picture and it's i mean it's such a it's so it's sometimes i've seen pictures of the pale blue dot and like I don't even see it because the resolution is so like <laughs> it's not very yeah good. like I can't I can't even see the dot because it's so small but I also think that you know nothing we do is in isolation science is done in a world where art and philosophy and history exist you right. know yeah, and absolutely. and those things also exist in a world where science exists mm-hmm they're they're connected and why do we want to find life-saving technologies well we want to find that because we want to enjoy our lives because we want we want to extend our time or we i think we should want to extend our time on on this planet so that we can enjoy our time on this planet right like it's not yeah it's not just for its own sake and yeah i also this is totally unrelated but i always think of it when you say like on, on your post that said that that blue is also a color of love and i was I, I love anything that brings the colors blue and pink together because those colors along with white are the colors of the trans flag and that just makes me happy awesome yeah yeah and and recognizing we all exist in our own ways and spaces and places yeah the coexistence is so important and why would we not just want everyone on that pale blue dot to feel like their best whole selves. And why don't we just let people do that? Yeah, and to have that pale blue dot actually be home. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. For everybody. For all of us. Yeah, yes. be home. Yes. Yeah, let it be home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, cool. yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that statement. I like, and he walks forward. You know, we've seen him <laughs> kind of like in the back hunched over with sandwiches and stuff. But in this scene, he walks forward <laughs> and he's standing tall and the blue light's falling on him. And he's like... Then all this may mean something, yeah. you know, and it's it's great. Yeah. I love that little spot with him. Yeah, no, it's good. Back on the Enterprise, Data discovers that the Packlid ship has been working all along and that apparently these malfunctions were pre-programmed into their computer mainly to just lure in somebody like LaForge. Yeah, and this is when Riker's like, well, why would they do that? And Troy's like, <laughs> I told you. I've said this five <laughs> times already. God, it's like you men are thick. Then we go to Starbase 515. They've arrived, Picard and, and Wesley. In Picard's log, he says that he's still quite uneasy about the procedure. And then there's a really funny moment that I didn't actually notice, but they approach a door together and Wesley kind of stops at the door and Picard opens it for him. This moment, I I don't know if this is true or not, but I read on like IMDb that it was improvised because like the idea was that Wesley would have spent all of his life on like ships or in places that had automatic doors that he like didn't really know what to do with a door that doesn't <laughs> it open makes sense. on its own. Yeah. So Picard that had makes to show sense. him. That's awesome. Picard's kind of like, okay, are you going to your exams? And then 
he realizes that Wesley is staying with him longer than is strictly speaking necessary and that Wesley is has actually been tasked by Pulaski to like make sure he actually goes to his procedure. Which I think is sweet. I think like, it's He cares sweet. about Picard. Yeah, he cares about him. Pulaski cares about him. Picard is like so annoyed. But then <laughs> Wesley says that he enjoyed their trip. And Picard says he did too, yeah. and he smiles. And I got teary. I'm like, oh, that's such a nice moment between them. It's so sweet. It's starting to show that, you know, when they start at the beginning of the shuttle mission and he says, it's no secret. Everyone knows that you don't really like kids. But in this moment, by the end, they've they formed this bond now with each other. Yeah. Picard tells him about a moment in his life when he was younger and more foolish and probably in a way is trying to say, or is at least alluding to the audience that Wesley is far more disciplined and probably even more successful maybe in a way that Picard was at his age. Yeah. And that he enjoyed their time together and gives him that yeah. acknowledgement and validation. And that was, that's nice. Absolutely. I I love it. And I think he's also saying like, he's like, I wasn't always this disciplined. Like, I'm not just a disciplined captain. Like, I am also a human being. Right. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes a, a bit, you know, Led by ego as well and yeah. insecurity and, and everything else. Yeah. yeah. We go back to the Enterprise. The Packlids hail them. And Riker demands that they return LaForge. But they keep saying, like, request denied, request denied. And then they fire their phaser at LaForge again, like, for no reason. And Riker is obviously, like, panicked. He's, He's like, like, stop, stop it! it! And then he, he looks to right uh, to Troy for a moment and just kind of like recollects himself and he's like, "What? What do you like? What do you want? What do you need?" And then they say to Riker that you think that we aren't smart, and he's like, "I think you need to continue to develop." Yeah. But the Packlets say that they are smart and they will re- return LaForge in exchange for all their computer information on the Enterprise, which obviously they're not going to get. Of course, yeah. So we go to the observation lounge and we've got Riker, Worf, Pulaski, Data, and Troy discussing their options. And Data kind of lays it out. He's like, we can respond to their demands or not. We can use force or not. Riker's like, well, we obviously can't give them access to the Enterprise computer. And Worf's like, then force it is. Force it is. <laughs> He's like, you I didn't... told you from the start. <laughs> yeah, you didn't listen to me before. No. You're going to listen now. To Worf's credit, he never does have an I told you so moment, which I think would have been justified, but he doesn't go there, no. which is nice. <laughs> he is too honorable. He is. Yeah. He is. Yeah. The transitions back and forth are getting really short now. So now we're, we're already <laughs> back to the Starbase again. The medical team gets ready to operate on Picard. They, they're all wearing like red. Yeah. These like red surgical suits, I guess. They include like these little hoods and stuff. Yeah, they stuff just have like a head. hole for their face. Like a hole for their face. It's like a spacesuit, but with a hole in the face. Yeah. And Picard is wearing red as well, and this little hat, and Picard is grumpy, <laughs> and the head surgeon explains what the surgery will be, that it's standard procedure, that everything's fine, they observe no complications, not at all foreshadowing. Yeah, no, for nothing. It's like, this will totally go according <laughs> to plan. I have a question. Is that what they do when surgery starts? Does that Does the head surgeon, like, announce to everybody what the surgery is going to be? Because I sort of felt like, and you know, I hope they all came in knowing what the surgery was going to be ahead of time. But Maybe it, they do, but then just to make sure everyone's on the same page or they didn't walk into the wrong, yeah. wrong surgical Yeah, day. like, like I was wondering, I is know. that is that normal? Like, do they, does no that happen idea. before surgeries? And they're like, all right, we are fixing, we are replacing this person's heart. Like, is, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. 
I I should ask someone who's been. Oh, I guess anyone I know who's been in surgery. I guess they're already yeah, unconscious the by then. So. Usually... I know one surgeon. I will yeah, ask her. Yeah, I'll be like, hey, her. does this happen ask in her. surgery? Okay, so back in the observation lounge, Data says that the Packlids do not invent their own equipment, but they borrow or steal, in this case, from other societies and cultures. Troy says that they've become militant because they are unwilling to wait for the timely evolution of their species' intellectual capacity. Is that why we're violent sometimes? Are we outpacing ourselves sometimes? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, this is like a part where I'm like not... The implication here is that the like not developed as a species is like that they're not smart as opposed to like, you know, humans at this point in history have not yet developed warp technology. But like, I don't know. It's again, it's like a little it's a little weird. Anyway, Riker suggests that they should use this impatience and greed against the Packlids and that they're he basically is suggesting a ruse. Troy says that too. She's like, yeah. are you suggesting a ruse? And he's like, I am. Yeah. It's our only choice. So they want to they want to make it seem like they're playing along, but then kind of pull the carpet out from underneath them at the last minute. Yeah. And at one point, Pulaski's like, okay, but what if they catch on? And Riker's like, listen, this is this is all I got. But yeah, but you know what? So far, they used a ruse against them. And it, it worked. worked. The Packlets yeah. fooled them. Yeah. So they might want to maybe not underestimate yeah, them too much. But point. back on Starbase 515, there's been some capillary reaction. Yeah. I always say capillary. Do you say capillary or capillary? Capillary, is it the same? I think so. I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So we don't know if that actually means anything, but they need to proceed carefully. So there's a little hint there, maybe something's going wrong. Yeah. And then we jump back to the packlet <laughs> ship like right away. Yeah. And LaForge is like limping because he's been fired at multiple times. He's like times. shaking and stuff. Yeah. Probably has like nerve trauma and everything. Probably. And he's like, Okay, listen, can I talk to the Enterprise and I'll I think he also has the idea of like some kind of ruse because he's like, I'll get you the information you need. Obviously, like he knows that's not going to happen. LaForge says to Riker that the Packlids seem sincere and that they are nothing if not persistent, although not great conversationalists. And so, yeah, he says like all of the systems on this ship are stolen. So he mentions the Romulans, the Klingons, the Harada. Harada. Again, <laughs> yeah. Anyone else they've come in contact with. But Data says that they they have all this stolen technology, but they don't know how to use it properly. Then Riker, like, puts on a voice. Yeah, the, the, the ruse is beginning now. Yeah, you can tell. this. He's acting. And he's like, you know, LaForge, you've always been an excellent chief engineer with unmatched knowledge of phaser and photon weaponry. Yeah, they're trying to make him seem like a more choice target than he already is. Yeah. Right? That he's got weapons knowledge. Yeah. And Riker says that their missions are always dangerous and anyone could be called upon to make the ultimate sacrifice yeah. at any time. Yeah, it takes a little forge a little while to figure out what's going on. He's like, it's like, uh, like right what? now, this is this what I'm doing? Is this, this is how I go out <laughs> with the pack lens? Data is also acting and he says goodbye to LaForge and that he will miss him at weapon systems analysis. Yeah, and thankfully LaForge is like, wait a minute, I'm not a weapons mm. analyst. So he's like, okay, this is all, something's up. So he's like, yeah, sure, you're going to have to arm your photon torpedoes without me. And Data just mentions, yes, we will also have to arm our hydrogen collectors without you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the Packlets start to get excited that LaForge knows about weapons. But Worf says if he gives up any weapons information, that would be treason and he would die without honor. And then therefore, LaForge will never attain 
the 24th level of awareness and that 24 is the gateway to heroic salvation and then cuts transmission uh which is probably the most awkward of all the little notes that they're trying to give and also the most useless as we find later but that's okay because they say 24 seconds they literally do a countdown so i don't know why they need the 24 like that would, i'd be so confused if i were recording at that point i'd be like what are you talking about i do love the idea that like Klingons have 24 levels of awareness. Do they, though? Or is that just like, was that part of I the ruse? I think it's just part of the ruse. But I just love this idea. Yeah, yeah. Of like, oh, I've only reached the 12th level of awareness. Like, I, I, I have to get to 24 to reach heroic salvation. <laughs> Yeah, and like how how do you measure the gradations between one level of awareness? Like, what is there a big difference between twenty three and twenty four? Like, I don't know. Pulaski wonders if LaForge understands the plan, and Troy says, "Well, he's he's afraid." And Riker says, "Like, yeah, so are we. We we want to make sure he gets back." Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure I fully understood the plan even after watching it happen. I'm gonna have to. No, I I don't either. It was yeah, the ruse was not. It was barely a ruse. Yeah, it's not even really a ruse. I don't... Yeah. yeah. So the Packlets say that they want LaForge to make them strong, and they they threaten to kill him if he doesn't. Yeah. Back on Starbase 515, we have, which I found out, Ruthie, I've looked this up. Oh, yeah? uh, One of the most memed parts of Technobabble ever used in Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) This is apparently a thing. Because they say the metabolization inclusions aren't holding in Picard's surgery and that they can't stop the heterocyclic declination and then he yells fuse and there's like I looked up I'm like first of all is heterocyclic declination like a thing I looked it up and there's I found all these memes with that all just stated (laughs) heterocyclic declination fuse that it says afterwards because this this doctor is like so panicked and just yells this out and it's I found it was I found it was actually kind of breaking in the moment because it's so funny uh heterocyclic declination but yeah anyway something's broken with picard is a broken heart he's a broken heart he does yeah yeah they need a biomolecular physiologist stat like stat Picard is going to die and this like that escalated so fast yeah especially considering it was supposed to be like routine and stuff they went from being like they're all super confident that seems to be a theme that runs through this episode everything's like confident everyone thinks that everything's going to be fine Going to the ship's going to be fine. Going to surgery is going to be fine. Everyone has, no one has any suspicions that anything could go wrong. And then it goes wrong. Yeah. We have a dramatic commercial break. Picard is going to die. Can you imagine? Picard's going to die. This is the episode. Jordy's going to die on the Packlet ship. Picard's going to die. Yeah. Riker takes over on the bridge and Ensign Sonny Gomez is the new <laughs> chief of engineering. And we just go on. That's it. We just go on. We just, yeah, that's how it happens. In one of the alternate universes, that's what's going it's down. That's true. Yeah. On the Paglet ship, LaForge says there isn't enough juice in their weapons to blow up a passing asteroid. Which, you know, Ruthie, some asteroids could be quite large. So yeah. that might be a lot of power still. I don't know. That's true, yeah. LaForge says that they can increase the antimatter charges. And the Paglets are like, well, don't you dare trick us. Because we can tell. We can tell. We can tell. Back on Starbase. <laughs> Back on Starbase 515. The, the biomolecular physiologist uh, can't help. And the surgeon says that the capillary integrity is too unpredictable to attempt a resect. It's like, you're not even willing to make the attempt? I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. (laughs) But the biomolecular physiologist knows someone 
someone who is. Someone. I wonder who that is. I wonder, yeah, I wonder who it's going to be. Yeah. In Enterprise Engineering, Sonia Gomez is holding her own. Yeah. She's got like, you know, they, they're talking to her about like whether or not she can set up this plan that they've got in place. Gomez worries that LaForge is an engineer and not a weapons specialist and everything else. But Riker points out that LaForge is good at improvising and says he trusts LaForge's instincts so that he should be able to follow along with his side of the plan over there. Yeah, I like that Riker said that because that is true. LaForge is is good at improvising. He always has to like improvise solutions to whatever problems they get into. So Mm -hmm. I like that he's, you know, they're recognizing that. Meanwhile, the two the two stories are now going to combine because yeah. Worf contacts Riker and says that there's an emergency summons from the starbase that that the captain is near death. Yeah, and I swear Riker looks like he wants to say a swear word. I would at this point. <laughs> I'd be like Jesus, yeah, you know. Said there's so much going on already. I would not have said Jesus. I would have said. I'm trying. This is my friendly version because yeah. otherwise we got to check the not safe for work box on our, yeah. on our on our thing. <laughs> The Packlet ship, the Packlets are very happy with, with the power LaForge is giving them. He's like, we are strong. Yeah. And then on the bridge, Pulaski's like, listen, we have to go to Picard. And she's the only one who actually knows what's going on. Right. Yeah. So she really knows how yeah, serious Yeah, she's like, no, no, be. like Picard, we, we really need to go to Picard. But Riker's like, nope, we have to get LaForge first. And so then this is like the weirdest thing. So my understanding is LaForge has armed this photon torpedo and in 24 seconds which feels like a really long time he's going to disarm it and at the same time the enterprise is going to blow off some hydrogen which is going to make things red and then that it's going to make it look like they did something to disarm the torpedo but it was actually LaForge disarming the torpedo. Yeah, and that way that the the Enterprise, I guess the plan is that way the Enterprise asserts some form of dominance without having to fire any weapons. I think so. They possibly harm LaForge. Yeah, it makes them look tough because, and they do the countdown. The countdown's from 24. That's why I was like, well, they're they're saying it out loud. So I don't know why they had to do the levels of awareness, but whatever, it's funny. And they fire the red mist from the hydrogen collectors. And LaForge is like, oh, they fired the Crimson Force Field and it's actually disarmed us. And then the Packlets are like, we're not strong. Yeah, I do like the Crimson Force Field. Like, the, I love the way LaForge says it. Like, it's so clearly false. Oh, no. They fired the Crimson Force Field. Yeah. It disarmed us. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand because it, it looked like he did arm the torpedo and then he had to disarm it. I don't know why he had to arm it in the first place. Anyway. I guess they were, they'd be able to tell, like they said. I don't know. Yeah. They suspiciously are not very suspicious about what just went down. Yeah. Uh, but they do decide to drop their shields and the Enterprise is able to beam LaForge back. Yeah. And then and then he's back. And so they go to go to check on Picard. And so then we go to the surgery and the medical team all leaves except for one doctor who's got their back to us. And Picard wakes I up. I wonder who it yeah, is. Yeah. Who could it be? He angrily asks what the doctor is doing there. Yeah. Pulaski answered. He's like, well, I just saved your life. Yeah. And he's like, come on, this is a routine procedure. This is quite commonplace. And uh, she says, yeah, that might be true. But you are not a commonplace man. And now he's worried that the entire crew must know what happens. And she basically just responds with, well, you're welcome. Yeah. 
he could have just had the surgery on the Enterprise and like fewer people would know. Yeah, he probably, yes. It's like what, it, it kind of had like a Barbra Streisand effect yeah. where like it became exaggerated. Yeah. But she tells him, you know what? You're still the captain and everyone's going to see you as invincible. Yeah. And he, he kind of huffs, but he thanks her. Yeah, he does. So then on the bridge, Picard and Wesley enter and Riker leads everyone in a round of applause. Like he starts clapping. Unnecessary, Riker. Unnecessary. And then he is the first to stop when Picard glares at them. So he like starts them on that and then kind of hangs them all out to dry. Yeah, talk about awkward. He's like, I beg your pardon. So Picard says that Wesley's exam results permit him to continue his studies aboard the Enterprise. Of course. Of course. And then he says that rumors of his brush with death are greatly exaggerated. And then they set course for the Epsilon Sector, <laughs> presumably to go back and check out that Pulsar cluster. <laughs> Finally. Finally. Yeah, so so there you go. So he didn't miss it after all. He didn't miss it after all. I do like this episode that it finally begins to flesh out some of the connection between Picard and Wesley and where it's going to lead. Yeah, I like that they that they tell the pack or sorry, I like that they tell the Nausicaan story. You know, I like that that we see that side of Picard that he was, you know, a cocky little little jerk when he was when he was younger. <laughs> An important lesson to learn. Yeah. And uh yeah, I like I like the the interactions between uh Wesley and Picard even though Wesley is like so many inappropriate questions. But. A little bit forward. But but again, coming from a good place. Yeah, you can tell yes. it comes from a good place. Yes. Yeah, no, not, yeah, certainly not Riker's best moment. At least, like, we get to see Troy, like, you know, I do like that we get to see Troy being, like, pretty firm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. In that sense, like, there's a good, I wonder what, what kind of dynamic you'd have if, like, Troy and Worf were part of a combat team. I feel like Worf would listen to Troy. I think he would. Yeah. Well, in this in TNG version of Worf. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this Worf in this show would listen to Troy. Yeah. You know, I think I, I even think DS9 Worf would listen to Troy if Troy was around. I think she'd be like, are you kidding me? And he'd be like, no, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. I am sorry. <laughs> Ruthie, any final thoughts on Samaritan Snare? Ah. I- you know, I think I think I've said them all. I am looking forward. We're we're really rounding the corner here of season two. Got a couple couple tough ones coming up, but some good ones. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, big changes. Oh my gosh, so many for big TNG in season in three season production three. changes, quality of the show. It's like a soft reboot almost. Once we get into the nineties, I'm excited for season three. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at FirstLinkPod, or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to... Tell us about your awkward, awkward conversations. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And if you have a long, awkward journey through space, remember to pack your triangle sandwiches. (laughs) They could be rhomboid sandwiches, actually. (laughs) (laughs) 